0: On today's Spirit-Filled Media Podcast. If there is one single thing I can recommend
1: to every family and say, do this one thing and your family life will automatically improve, it's say the rosary together as a family. I know of no family who says faithfully the daily rosary where the family is divided. I know of no family.
0: Hello friend, we're so glad to have you back again for another episode of the Spirit Filled Media Podcast with host Deacon Steve Greco. It's no secret that marriage and families are under attack in today's culture especially if you're striving to live your life from a faithful Catholic Christian worldview. Today, we're honored to have a very special guest who has so much to share on this topic that a well-known publisher asked him to write it all down in book form. Today's installment is titled Understanding Marriage and Family, Part One. Here's Deacon Steve to make introductions.
2: We have Father Sebastian Walsh a Norbertine priest. Welcome to the show, Father.
1: Thank you. So good to be here, Deacon Steve.
2: Well, it is so wonderful to have you here. And you have quite a background in terms of radio and, and as an author of a book. We're going to be focusing on, I believe, your newest book, correct? Yes. Understanding Marriage and Family, a Catholic perspective, which is extremely important in this day and age. Uh, but before we get into that, I always like to to kind of discover God's, the Holy Spirit working in people's lives, which led you to become a priest. So tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. Yeah. I was a bit of a late vocation. I came to the Abbey when I was 29, which is especially for the Norbertines at St. Michael's is a, is a later vocation. And I had done a lot of different things before I had been involved. Uh, originally, I studied electrical engineering at um, UC Irvine. I worked at an intellectual property law firm. For many years in Newport Beach. And at one point I really got interested in kind of the bigger questions of life. I, it was funny cause I felt like I, I reached all of my life goals by the time I had already reached my early twenties. You know, I had this wow. great office overlooking the Pacific ocean and my own secretary and big furniture and all the stuff, you know, that you're sort of told is supposed to be the meaning of life. And, um, and I realized like, well, there's gotta be more than this, you know, and I uh, had some really good friends, who were members of a big traditional Catholic family, and they sent their kids to Thomas Aquinas College out in Santa Paula in Ventura County. And so I applied there, and I went to school there, and that was the first time I started thinking a bit about a vocation. But it had to kind of percolate. I was still, you know, for me, the idea was I should get married, and maybe I have a big family. I was loved the idea. But I really fell in love with philosophy at that time. And so I went on to study philosophy in graduate school, at Catholic university. And when I was there, I got to be close friends with a a seminarian from the diocese of Raleigh, North Carolina. And through that friendship, Aristotle has a saying, he says a friend is like another self. Mm. And for the first time I could see myself pursuing a vocation through that friendship. It was really helpful for me to see someone else who I respected so much, who I, I thought was really doing something great for Christ and for his church. So that was a stimulus I needed to try. And I came and made a little two-week come-and-see visit at our abbey. And it was really difficult. But in spite of that, I had the sense that I think I can do this. And if God gives me the grace, then I will, um, I'll stay. And that's exactly what happened. And 22 years later, I can't imagine being any happier than I am.
2: Well, praise God. That is and, so exciting. How old were you when you entered the abbey? 29 when I entered, 29 when I entered. So, yeah. and then why did you choose the Norbertine order?
1: You know, it's so funny. At the time I joined, I didn't even know the difference between a diocesan priest and a religious priest. I had that little knowledge about the, you know, the priesthood and the different orders. Really, I had two criterion. I wanted a place where they were faithful to the teaching of the church, right? I didn't want someone who's constantly bad the Pope or, you know, whatever, and I wanted a place where they were serious about holiness. Those are my two criterion. And it turns out that since I had lived in Orange County for a while working down in you know Newport Beach, I had met over the years, a number of Norbertines, actually the very, this is a great story because you know him, the very first Norbertine I ever met was in prison and we were cellmates. It was Father Leo Cilano. <laughs> And we God bless Father Leo. And so there was this whole thing you you may remember Operation Rescue and we were there and yes. we were protecting the little babies, you know, in front of the abortion clinic and we all got arrested and we were thrown in this big holding cell of like fifty people and there was Father Leo and his habit, and you know, we were praying the rosary with the Protestants and it was great, it was great. Ecumenism was awesome. Anyway, so that was my first Norbertine. We had a rap sheet as long as my right arm, you know? <laughs> and uh and then um, later on, I met some other Norbertines. I thought, well, they seem like good, you know, good priests they' They have the faith and, and they're serious about holiness. So I'll try here. And that's what happened. I didn't even, I didn't visit anywhere else. It was the only place I tried and God led me right to where I belong.
2: This is Deacon Steve Greco with Father Sebastian Walsh a Norbertine priest who is a writer, has been on many, many uh, talks. uh, He's given throughout a wide area. And we're talking about understanding marriage and family. Uh, Tell me about why you wrote the book, what the book is about.
1: So uh, a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I was asked to um, teach uh, the senior religion class at St. Michael's Abbey. We had a prep school there, uh, St. Michael's Prep, and the senior religion class was apologetics, and I noticed in my interactions with the students already, even before I started teaching the class, that while they did have questions about the typical apologetics questions like the existence of God, the immortality of the soul, you know, the primacy of the Pope, um, you know, Mary, the Eucharist, those kinds of questions certainly came up. By far, they were interested in the questions about marriage and family because the culture had completely inundated them. With views that were um, novel and opposed to Catholic teaching on marriage and family, and so I realized this is the front line of the battle. And if I'm going to teach an apologetics course, I need to teach them how to defend the te- Church's teaching on marriage and family. So that's how I conceived writing the book. And I I got about a two week period free in the summer, and I just sat down and I put together this apologetics work, originally work of apologetics to teach high school students. And then um, over the years teaching, I taught it for about five years. You know, I went and I added and modified certain things because I noticed like this was helping and these were certain objections. A lot of the objections, for example, in the book come from the, my classes, from the students' actual questions and so forth. So I put it together into a form like that. And um, lo and behold, um, about two years ago, uh, a Catholic publisher contacted me out of the blue. They had somehow heard about the book through the, I don't know, maybe one of my students or someone had somehow con- contact this publisher and he contacted me and said, can I see a manuscript? And I sent it to him and he said, we'd like to publish this. So that's kind of how the book originated.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. If people would just take one thing from the book, what would you hope that be?
1: I guess the the one thing that I'm hoping that people will understand from the book is that marriage is something that is both natural and supernatural. It's not something made by man or by the state. Fundamentally to understand that marriage has its origins in human nature. It's a fulfillment of a fundamental inclination of human nature and also has a supernatural meaning given to it by God as a sacrament. And therefore the authority over marriage is not a human authority, but rather it is a divine authority.
2: And one of the things that's so important, my brothers and sisters, is to understand the sacrament of marriage and the importance of the sacrament of marriage and the closeness that you get to the Lord as a result of the two become one. And tell us more about that and the Catholic perspective of marriage.
1: So before the Catholic church was ever established formally and uh, before we had the fullness of Catholic revelation we always had marriage. There was always marriage right from the beginning. Now we know from revelation that God in the beginning was the one who instituted marriage between our first parents, Adam and Eve, but all cultures, regardless of their religious background, had marriage and and a common understanding of marriage as something which is ordained to the fulfillment of human nature, the generation and education of offspring, a life of communion between the husband and wife. All of that is something that's common to our human heritage, but. With the advent of the coming of Jesus Christ and the, the revelation that came, especially through the New Testament, there was an extremely clear further revelation about the meaning God intended for marriage. Not only is marriage something which fulfills human nature and is ordained to the generation education of children, it is also a sacrament that is a sacred sign, which gives grace it is a sacrament of the union of the divine and the human of Christ and his church and even of the incarnation, the divinity and the human and the humanity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is a further finality or purpose that God had in mind when he established the sacrament of marriage. So what was at first seen as something natural, we found out or discovered through revelation was also a window pointing to the supernatural.
2: Amen. You know, it's interesting. My wife and I have, have done a lot of work with couples that are in the process of getting married mm. and going through, um, the marriage certification and so forth, uh, training. And one of the books we've used is called marriage in the Lord. I don't mm. know if you're familiar with her. I have not read that one. So it's, it's actually a very good program, but the interesting thing is, is we'd always ask the couples uh, who were in the process of, of being married, the engaged couples, what is the most important thing that you could possibly do as it relates to having a solid marriage? Hmm. And uh, you might imagine some of the answers were things like, well, listening skills, you know, hmm. putting the other person first, you know, and then they go on and on and on trust and and so forth and so forth. But rarely, rarely, I'd say maybe one out of 50 couples would say anything about the title of the workshop marriage in the Lord, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and what does that mean Mm -hmm. to put Jesus at the center of your marriage in everything that you do? It's interesting, right? Because the world has trained you. Well, if I have good communication skills, if, you know, we have a good sex life or a good this, that, you know, financially we're in good shape, all those things. But marriage in the Lord is what the most important thing is.
1: Yes, that's right. Of course, you probably remember the famous book by Fulton Sheen three to get married. And that's, that's exactly (laughs) the the concept that you have Jesus there um, together. When I do marriage prep for couples that I uh, marry, I always tell them the number one. And in some sense, the only cause of divorce is because you think your spouse was going to make you happy. And they didn't. Amen. And I tell them, your job is not to make your spouse happy and your spouse's job is not to make you happy because frankly you were both made for God. And so it's trying to get blood out of a turnip because no creature can make the human heart completely satisfied. So your job is to be a window to the heart of Jesus. That's what I tell my, my couples and the two of you together leading each other to Christ. Now what you find is both of you have found your happiness in Christ. And at the same time, you have found happiness together And therefore your love is strengthened because you see that the other person is not a means to an end for you, but rather the two of you together are journeying towards Christ and the marriage is strengthened by that.
2: And to be the spiritual helpmate, right? Mm -hmm. To help each other spiritually grow in faith is so important. And obviously, put the needs of one another first, which is not easy to do. We're so blessed to have Father Sebastian Walsh, a Norbertine priest, and his uh, discussing his new book, Understanding Marriage and Family A Catholic Perspective. We're going to talk more about the challenges within Catholicism and certainly the world in terms of keeping the Lord at the center of a marriage. But at least, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I've been told that divorce statistics are the same for Catholics as non-Catholics. Yes, yes. And so somehow, some way, we as a church have not communicated effectively the value, the sacrament of the marriage and, and really how to have the tools necessary to have this strong marriage. And just for the record, I've been married 48 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank uh, you for your witness. Yes. And of course it has not exactly been easy as my wife would also would say, we had our ups and downs and some major challenges, but from a Catholic perspective, why is it so important for Catholics to know how to defend marriage and the family and especially in this current environment?
1: Yes. Well, first thing is that while truth is not sufficient, you need truth plus grace and living a life of charity and all the other things. Nevertheless, it's the beginning. If you have error in your soul, if you are, um, wrong about what the truth is about marriage and family. Of course, then you've got no hope because you're like a you're like a ship whose navigator is directing you towards the rocks right away. You can have all the goodwill in the world, and if you don't know the truth about marriage and family, you're you're in a bad way. And so the first thing is you got to eliminate a lot of the errors that have you know crept into the culture and also into the culture of of a typical Catholic life. You know, even inside the Catholic Church. A lot of Catholics have a wrong idea about what marriage is for and what marriage is. So that's the first thing. You need to go beyond that, and you need to have the example of holy Catholic couples uh, somewhere in your own life. In fact, if you, the, the very end of my book, the last few chapters, are really about practical ways of living out the Catholic life, formation of, of couples, Um, And then healing corruptions and, and wounds in marriages and families, because many people today come out of broken families. Many people, maybe half the, you know, the Catholics who are getting married today are coming from a broken family situation. And so they need to find a moral example they can follow, you know, outside their family at some point. So you need truth and you need also that moral example in order for marriages to be successful, huh?
2: Should they be discouraged and getting married when they've come from broken family or how do they get past that discouragement? Because many of the couples that I talk to, they, you know, they, they feel, I don't want to make the same mistakes that my parents made and so forth. And, and yet, you know, they're, they're so interested in getting married, but the reality is this, there's a lot of people not getting married, a lot of people living together yes. because of the mistakes made by their parents and so forth. And they're obviously living in sin. And so that's not something that we are encouraging uh, as a church at all. Um, we encourage a sacred marriage. But again, if they have this, this history of not even knowing what a, a successful marriage looks like, what do they do?
1: Yes. Well, the first thing is you can't live by fear. You just can't live your life by fear and govern your main decisions in your life by fear that that's a recipe for disaster. And no one ever finds happiness by running away from things because of their fears. Amen. So that's the first thing Um, you just have to recognize. So here's one of the truths about marriage, even at the natural level, it's fulfilling of human nature. In other words, unless young people come together have children together, raise those children together within a loving communion. Unless that happens, our species doesn't go on. It's just, <laughs> it's just what has to happen for human beings to flourish. So even at the natural level, marriage is necessary. It's gotta be a lifelong commitment. But at the supernatural level, you're not gonna find happiness either without the grace of that sacrament of matrimony. And so really what has to happen with those who come from broken family backgrounds is not discouragement, but caution and trust. They need to trust the the church's authoritative teaching on these matters, and they need to trust people who have done it the right way. You mentioned that, that uh, among Catholics today, the divorce statistics are almost the same as among the general culture. Well, I come from an environment, a Catholic world environment, where the divorce statistics are radically different than the larger population. So I give you an example. I went to Thomas Aquinas college and I would, I don't know the exact statistics, but divorces among graduates from that college are significantly lower than the general population and the the church in general. If I had to guess, I would say be less than 5% um, as opposed to almost 50% in, in the, in the culture. If people, are given a good Catholic education if they're given good examples of married life and they're willing to trust because here's one of the things that happens. You come from a broken family situation that hardwires some of your emotions to to pursue and avoid things that aren't good for you that's what happens very often you get these emotional inclinations and so what happens is you you follow your emotions and then you find yourself in the same problematic situation that your own family was in or whatever instead what you have to do is say I'm not qualified to be able to make the right judgments about how marriage and family should be but there is someone over there who's done it right they've done it right and I'm gonna just ask them how do you do it How do I follow your example? And you have to find a good, healthy, happy married couple that you can follow and that you can um, trust. And it's really through that kind of interaction and communion of saints, you know, the communion of the different members of the church, that people from broken families can find healing and happiness in their own families. And I've seen it happen over and over again.
2: Amen. My brothers and sisters, we're talking about this new book, Understanding Marriage and Family, by Father Sebastian Walsh. Uh, it's very, very important that we understand the Catholic perspective. One of the most important things from my vantage point, too, is, is to take a look at Scripture yes. and to take a look at what Scripture has to say about marriage and there is uh, Ephesians uh, five, verse twenty-one: be subordinate to one another, out of reference to Christ. And and of course the famous line about wives should be subordinate. But the reality, if you look at the whole context of it, they are to be subordinate to one another to put Christ at the center of it. And if you go on to Ephesians six about children and family and parents and so forth about putting again, Christ at the center of it. But then you start uh, Ephesians 6, 10 to draw your strength from the Lord and his mighty power to put on the armor of Christ. And I really want to, to emphasize the fact, my brothers and sisters, that there is a spiritual war going on. And in that spiritual battle, the devil wants to destroy marriage and family. I mean, that's, that's the front line. Yes. And so, If you're going to be, which we all are, fighting the enemy, don't we need tools to be able to win that battle? And in fighting the enemy, what are the tools? Well, they need to be spiritual tools along with certainly the training, the emotional tools and so forth. Yes. There is no substitute for turning your life over to Jesus Christ. You and your spouse to turn your lives over to Jesus Christ, because you talked about Uh, Thomas Aquinas College and uh, so forth. I think the reality is when you committed to the Lord, those marriages have a very small percentage of divorce. That's right.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So first of all, I want to really reaffirm what you said about this being a spiritual battle. You may know about um, the the last of the Fatima seers, uh, Sister Lucia. Shortly before she died, she had written a letter to Cardinal Carafa in which she said, that our lady um, had instructed or told her that the final battle will be over marriage and family Mm. and those who try and defend marriage and family will be attacked from all sides. But then she added, do not be afraid for she our lady has already crushed Satan's head. Amen. And so the first thing that tells you is our lady needs to be in your family life. If there is one single thing I can recommend to every family and say, do this one thing and your family life will automatically improve. It's say the rosary together as a family. Do the daily rosary. I know of no family who says faithfully the daily rosary where the family is divided. I know of no family.
2: That is quite a statement. My brothers and sisters, the blessed mother is so, so important. And we talked about marriage and family. I have to tell you a little story, father. I have three children Yes, and they're all grown and so forth now. But when they were teenagers, I this is a story I often tell. I went to a church in the middle of the day. There's no one in there. And I started praying and I asked the Lord, I said, I don't know what to do. I mean, my, my teenagers, I say red, they say black, I say white, they say green. <laughs> Whatever I say is wrong. I said, what do I do, Lord? You know, I, I, I want to know what to do. And I really felt the Lord's presence and the Lord saying, turn to my mother, pray a decade of the rosary every single day for every member of your family, nice. for your marriage, your children. That was over 30 years ago. I've never missed saying three rosaries a day now or more. But bottom line is this. My brothers and sisters say yes to your blessed mother, your spiritual mother say yes to the rosary, say yes to Divine Mercy Chaplet, which yes. is a big proponent of what we do here. We give a lot of Divine Mercy seminars and so forth and a lot of Marian seminars. Why do you do that? Because do you love your spouse? Do you love your family? Then love Jesus. Love the Blessed Mother. Let the Blessed Mother into your life.
1: Yes, absolutely. As Catholics, of course, Um, The reason why we turn to Mary is precisely because she leads us to Jesus more effectively, more effectively, you know, someone might ask, well, can I go to the Lord Jesus directly? And the answer is absolutely. But you know what? If you go to him with her, with his mother, you'll get more, you'll get more. And why is that? Because God wants us not only to be grateful to him for the gifts he's given us, but to one another and especially to his mother. We receive Jesus through Mary's yes. And just as we receive Jesus through Mary's yes, um, we receive Jesus's gifts also with Mary. And so um, Our Lady, the other saints, etc. those are powerful ways of praying for and bringing about peace and unity within your own soul and within your own family. The other thing, of course, is Jesus has established a church with sacraments and really encourage by your own first personal example. And then by the encouragement through the instruction of your children, encourage them to use the sacraments regularly, frequently. You know, a young man, a teenager might be struggling with a lot of things in their moral life, but if they know that they can go to the sacrament of confession and find strength and peace and healing, if they know that that's available to them, It's just a whole different world. I mean, we taught for years at St. Michael's, all these teenagers, and they would, they had confession available every night. And because of that, they were peaceful, happy, joyful, fervent Catholics. So especially the sacrament of confession, mass more often than just Sundays, those kinds of things will um, we'll bring about the graces that you need to fight the evil one because you can't fight them on your own, not in this culture, not
0: anymore. Mm. The sacraments are such a blessing to us, aren't they? And as they assist us in fighting the evil one, as Father Sebastian noted, that'll be a wrap on part one of this two part series on understanding marriage and family. This is dynamic stuff. So be sure to share this podcast with someone you love and care about. You will be so glad you did. For more info on this ministry, click on our website, spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org, as we have so many more resources that we'd love to share with you on that site. Again, spiritfilledhearts.org. We'll see you again next time with Deacon Steve and the team. This podcast is a ministry of Spirit-Filled Media. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit Filled Hearts Ministry with a one time or monthly gift. Spirit Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.